Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition, and we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Southern California. Welcome to the show, Joe Quirk. Thanks for having me, Victor. Good to be back. So, Joe, you were on the podcast a few months ago, and we were talking about seasteading. And for the listeners at home, if you haven't listened to that particular episode, you definitely want to go back and listen to that one again. But for the folks who didn't listen to it, maybe why don't you take a moment, give us a little bit of a primer on seasteading and what that's all about. Seasteading is a portmanteau, which is a fancy word for a combination of two words. So it's homesteading the sea. So it's seasteading. Seasteaders have had a remarkable breakthrough in 2019, which is we've created the first affordable single family seastead home on the high seas, 12 miles off the coast of Thailand. And what's remarkable about this is that it would basically be its own uh, country to a certain extent. It would be outside the territorial waters of any existing country. So now we're reaching out to other countries to actually build uh, real estate on the ocean. I think it's a fascinating idea and certainly groundbreaking in so many ways. I mean, for even for myself as someone who loves the sea, we ourselves, we own a boat. We spent three months living on the water this year after the Investor Summit at Sea where we got to meet earlier this year. Yeah, but we had to wait until we got a flag of a European nation on our boat before we could move our boat. And of course, uh, as a member of the European Union, if any floating structure has certain time limits to remain in EU waters, after which you've got to pay value-added tax if it's a foreign vessel, and uh, and all of these rules and regulations. Now, in the in the world of seasteading, your hope, your goal, your aim is to avoid all of that. Yes, uh, we still have to deal with uh, international law and the law of the seas with the idea of creating startup societies with new governance rules. But you are correct. The first seastead was just a demonstration project to prove that it worked. The people who lived on it for two months uh, loved living out there, and every time they were on land, they wanted to get back. But the next seasteads that will be built around the world will require a flag. And what's unique about what we're trying to do is that we're trying to create a special seasteading flag. So we're not just on this blue ocean frontier, we're also on a legal frontier. So vessels are designed as things that float out from land, move through the ocean, come back to land, dock. Seasteads are unique in that they would not move much. They'd be stationary, they'd float permanently, and they would never come to land. So it's a new technology for which there is as yet no legal definition. Um, so we're reaching out to countries right now trying to arrange a special seasteading flag. Now, the Royal Thai Navy uh, boarded this particular seastead. They took it over in absentia, I understand, charged those who were living on it with uh, sedition. Uh, they were not physically there when they were boarded by the Navy. What happened there? Well, they, uh, I think it's all my fault. I made a video with them uh, announcing they're creating a new society and uh, inviting more people to build more. And uh, Thai Vice Admiral in the Navy uh, decided to make an issue out of it and ventured outside the 12-mile territorial waters to confiscate the seastead and even submitted a charge of treason against the people on board. And the number of ways it doesn't make sense are numerous, including the fact that within a mile of the seastead, there's a, a tanker 
that's been stationed there for years that's just floating and people live on it and do business there and they didn't consider that a threat. Fortunately, my friends uh, escaped and I'm currently writing a book about their harrowing escape. Chad and Nadia being raided by the Thai Navy was terrifying for all of us who loved them. But once they escaped and secured their own safety, I realized they had sparked an international conversation about seasteading. And now suddenly other nations are reaching out to us talking about how this could potentially benefit the people near them. And the St. Lucia Press, uh, St. Lucia is a Caribbean island, actually wrote a public um, op-ed about how seasteading could uh, benefit the Caribbean island nations. So it's amazing how these movements are leap forward from the efforts of courageous people who just go out there and try something at a considerable personal expense and risk. Uh, they, they push forward this movement. So I think we really have kind of a Lewis and Clark and Sacagawea of seasteading out there on the seas right now, uh, ready to build the next ones. And we're now reaching out to other countries to uh, demonstrate that these things can work. Like uh, any new society, you have to do it in negotiations with uh, other countries. And the best precedent for this is the floating city on, on which you and I met, which is uh, the cruise ship. So the cruise ship is essentially a de facto self-governing floating city uh, with flags of countries like Panama or Liberia or places like that, which have little capacity to enforce rules. And you can think of seasteads as uh, permanently floating cruise ships. The challenge for seasteading businesses is to make them inexpensive. And that's what Ocean Builders achieved. That's the, the company that built this first small single-family seastead for $150,000, uh, 13 miles off the coast of Thailand. It's quite an engineering feat. Absolutely. You know, one of the differences between the seastead product and, say, a boat is has to do with stability. And for the, those who are not familiar a boat bobs around in the waves. It's sitting on the surface of the water and it's really affected by wind and weather and current and tides and all of the rest. Your particular product is a very stable product. It sits on a very stable substrate and is largely unaffected by that. And for the listeners at home, maybe having trouble visualizing this, why don't you describe a little bit the technology that makes that possible? So the thing you have to deal with on the ocean is the waves. Uh, and the waves are mostly only at the surface and they're driven by wind. And so any structure on the water has to deal with this somehow. And the boat is its own unique technology, which is that it creates stability for people on board by moving through the waves. Uh, and boats are also designed to, uh, you know, they, on the oceans you collect barnacles and life and you, every once in a while, you have to bring your boat in and, and, and pull it out of the water and scrape off the barnacles, set it back down and send it sailing again. So a seastead is fundamentally different. Instead of being long, it's uh, tall, uh, but with four-fifths of it below the ocean. Uh, if you think of a skyscraper, this would be more like a sea scraper, which is upside down. So I think of it as like a floating wine bottle 
that's full and it's floating in the water with just the upper neck uh, sticking out of the water. And you could put your little tiny house on top of that. And it creates a uh, surprising amount of stability such that it looks like it's um, driven down to the seabed, but it's not. It's actually floating. Um, oil rigs use uh, some technologies like this. So it's basically a spar that floats on the ocean, and, the, and it's designed to stay out there uh, indefinitely. Um, and the wonderful thing about seasteads is that all these nuisances for boats, like uh, barnacles and life and mussels and seaweed growing on the side of your boat, is a boon for seasteads. Uh, so this floating home that was out there, uh, right away, uh, animals were attaching to it, and little ecosystems were growing, and little fish were claiming little uh, tiny little apartments to have their little families. So with every little uh, seastead home you built, you're uh, increasing the amount of life on the sea. And uh, ocean builders were actually getting started with uh, coral crete, which is an idea to grow uh, coral ecosystems on the sides of the seastead. So this is a, a paradigm that's well beyond sustainability. It's actually environmentally restorative. So you take a lot of the problems you have with boats and they become an asset for a permanent floating structure at sea. I love that. It's actually, you described it as a, a little bit like a wine bottle, but the other image that came to mind, it's actually almost like, a, like an iceberg where you only have a very small percentage of the iceberg showing above the water. It has tremendous inherent stability because so much of the iceberg, both in terms of mass and depth, is so far below the surface, whatever wave action is occurring at the surface is insignificant by comparison to the mass that is hidden beneath the water. Right. And like, like the seals sleep on icebergs and, and waves are hitting the iceberg and the seals don't feel it because there's so much stability below. Now imagine if you could carve out the interior of that iceberg, or at least uh, to some extent, as long as you create enough weight below the ocean, and you could put little glass windows you could look out uh, on an aquarium world where basically you're in, you're, the fish are looking at you. Uh, and this is what uh, Ocean Builders plans to do with the next ones. And if, if people are curious, they should go to ocean.builders and check out the images of what they're already designing and planning to 3D print. So if we go back to my wine bottle analogy, if you could put you know, windows in the bottom of the wine bottle, you could have a little apartment down there and look out on uh, a whole world and more fish and life and sea plants will attach to the seastead in such a way that you'll have your little coral garden growing out there. Any initiative like this not only has to make sense from uh, the early adopters, but ultimately has to make sense from the point of view of being sustainable from a business standpoint. And I think about initiatives like the electric vehicle Elon Musk focused first on the luxury segment where there was higher margin, where there was demand, greater demand at that segment of the market before bringing it down market and making it mainstream. What are your thoughts in terms of, is there a progression? Do you start in one particular segment before expanding? What, where do you see this going? The struggle has always been to uh, bring the price point down such that it's affordable for the average middle-class American. And the first one cost about $150,000 to build. And the idea is to keep the price point down. Oceanfront 
property is some of the most expensive property in the world. Well, on a seastead, you have a 360-degree view, not only of the oceans, but of the waters around you if you go down into the lower part of the seastead and look out your windows. Uh, so the initial idea is just to sell to individuals, many of which have already pledged money saying, well, as soon as you build them, I want some. Uh, and a lot of people worry about like, oh, 13 miles out, that's so far. Number one, you could, um, we're trying to negotiate with countries for some level of autonomy in their territorial waters. But even 12 miles out, that's about a, a 20 minute um, uh, speedboat ride, 30 minutes, something like that. A lot of people's commutes are a lot longer than that. Once you come up with a platform for people to bring their own governance ideas, everyone who feels uh, oppressed by these obsolete governance structures from the 20th century comes running to you with their ideas. Lots of seaweed farmers, especially from California, are interested in seasteading because the, the regulations written in the 1970s are not appropriate for the technologies coming online in the 2020s. So fish farmers, uh, medical innovators, uh, many uh, medical entrepreneurs want floating hospitals where they can get outside the regulatory structures. Anybody who wants to innovate at the foundation of society through a business, you know, if you love startup companies, you would really love uh, your own little startup society. So we just sort of provide the platform. You can think of it as like the iPhone of the sea, and then you just bring your governance app. And as long as people can choose among them and people can quit them, you know, we think the best ones will rise to the surface. Um, so I think the first seastead that Ocean Builders plans will probably be a underwater uh, hotel and um, restaurant. So you can be in the upper part where you look out on the sea and then you can go down a spiral staircase and uh, look out at the fish and eat some cobia receive lectures from people talking about the environmentally restorative world that's being built with seasteads. And uh, I think once you make houses affordable to the average middle-class Westerner, people bring their own ideas to what they want to do with it. Well, you've certainly been getting a lot of press lately. I know in the wake of the Thai Navy action, there was a lot of press activity. And more recently, you were on the Joe Rogan show. So congratulations on that. Definitely one of the leading podcasts in the world. Uh, what did you cover with Joe that would be worth sharing with our listeners? When I was speaking to Joe, it was still uh, an idea. Uh, and we talked about uh, all the things you and I just talked about at great length. You know, how will the laws work? Um, what about tsunamis? What about pirates? Uh, why do we need um, to experiment with governance? Can't we just fix things on the inside? Uh, these are all, everything about seasteading requires you to flip your assumptions that you bring to land. And part of my role is to communicate to people that these are affordable, they're environmentally restorative, and many of the benefits you find from real estate on land, you can find uh, uh, at sea. I mean, there's so many questions that come to mind. Like, for example, if let's say you were a resident of the United States and you want to declare yourself to be non-resident, meaning in order to do that, you've got to be resident of someplace else so that you're not no longer paying taxes. Well, I guess that's not entirely true because with U.S. citizenship, you are taxed on your worldwide income. But uh, perhaps another country where you 
have an opportunity to declare yourself to be non-resident and uh, therefore no longer have a tax obligation to that country. How does that all work? And would they even be willing to recognize the fact that you are now, in fact, a non-resident? Well, uh, we're, we're on a legal frontier and we're taking baby steps. So right now, the first people that move to Seasteads um, will probably be claimed by the countries where they have passports or where they remain citizens. As you mentioned, you know, high net worth Americans get taxed no matter where they move, whether to a Seastead or to Switzerland. The plan is to establish these and take baby steps further out to sea and negotiate for a little bit more autonomy as we go. Uh, hopefully, they'll eventually be recognized as floating nations. Uh, but I can imagine as uh, some of these Pacific Island nations that we've uh, spoken to and negotiated with, uh, as they experience threats from uh, sea level changes, and some of those small little narrow islands in Kiribati, for instance, transition into being floating islands, you know, you have a humanitarian uh, case to be made on the UN floor. And I know a seasteading lawyer who wants to do exactly this, that these people should still be recognized as a nation. And once that happens, you have a precedent. And then perhaps you could build another one less next door. And as long as these miniature societies advance from cruise ships to permanent things in the contiguous zone, then permanent things on the high seas, and they sustain benign relationships with the existing family of nations, I think we can uh, take these small tentative steps into uh, political independence on the high seas in the decades ahead. I love it. Well, definitely a story that continues to develop, one that we're going to want to monitor closely in the months and years to come. Joe, thank you for joining us again. If folks want to get in touch, what's the best way? If you're interested in uh, buying one of the first seasteads, check out ocean.builders. You can look at what the plans are. And I know the designer very well, and he's very eager to live in the first one. Uh, if you want to find out more about the general movement uh, of seasteading, check out the Institute of which I am president, which is the Seasteading Institute, which is at seasteading.org. And I've written a book called Seasteading, How Floating Nations Will Restore the Environment, Enrich the Poor, Cure the Sick, and Liberate Humanity from Politicians. And I feature eight aquapreneurs in there who are trying to do each of those things by engaging the freedom and the power of the sea. I love it. So definitely reach out to Joe at seasteading.org. And for the listeners at home, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>